Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris. Good to have you here today. Glad to be in the house of God. Um, Want to celebrate the fact that we just hired that woman right there. Um, Katie, people like you around here. Uh, Katie was one of our fellows. She was a part of our, our year-long residency program, and uh, we um, are just so thankful that she is now going to be joining our team in a permanent way. She's going to be working uh, alongside and in support of Adrian, who is going to be starting on the 3rd of August in discipleship and evangelism, and also working in collaboration and in support of, of Jason Faulkner, who provides pastoral care. And um, I, just, I just love this woman. She has a heart for God. She has as a mind for the, the scripture, the word of God, and just a, a wonderful person to be around. So I look forward to you all getting to know Katie better as time goes on. Uh, she's just a treasure, and she's going to be a real gift to our team. Before we get into the word, and we're going to be looking at uh, Colossians, actually beginning a, a bit of a series that the lectionary gives us freedom to go into where we're going to walk through the book of Colossians, this little book toward the um, back of your New Testament. I just want to say something about that song that, that we just sang. At both services, I found myself feeling like two things. Uh, and I'm learning to pay attention when I feel these two things in general. When my heart is uh, stirred and sparked by something, like something that just feels alive. And then it's almost immediately met with questions around like, well, will, have you never let me down, you know? Um, that, that he won't. It's like, I find my heart wants to say it. And yet I go like, what does that mean? How, how does that work? And if you're in that place, I just want to say, um, I think that there's always, when there's an intersection between our heart and our desire and the poverty of our experience, we're always meant to pay attention to that and go, what is it, God? And as soon as I began to say like, what is it, God? At the first service, my mind went to uh, an experience that Brad Malden and I, he's our community pastor, um, had a number of years ago. We were really privileged to be with Dallas Willard before he passed away in a graduate program. And I remember one day Dallas, and if you've been to Trinity for more than five minutes, you've heard me talk about him. Dallas Willard probably, uh, I, I, would, I would say more influence on my own spirituality than maybe any thinker of the past half, last half of the 20th century. I, I just... I don't think I would be who I am in any way without his influence. And we were able to spend weeks with him in a, in a monastic environment. And in one of his lectures, he said, almost like a throwaway statement, he said, you know, wherever you are, when you're with Jesus in his kingdom, that is a perfectly safe place to be. And it was another one of those moments where I was like, there's something in my heart really wanted that. And then I also thought, well, I don't. I don't feel safe all the time. Maybe don't even feel safe most of the time. So it's like that moment of paying attention when your heart wants something and your brain gets into some cognitive dissonance. What we didn't know then was that he was dying of cancer and he knew it. None of us knew it. He knew it. And he was still able to say, I am safe. And one of the things that we're going to see even in the text today is that when we say we're safe, it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out like we want it to work out. We live in a broken and fallen world. We live in a world where people divide and break fellowship. We live in a world where people we love die of disease. We live in a world where there is war and conflict and all kinds of things. And yet at the same time, Jesus is with us. 
So I want to reframe that idea of he won't fail me doesn't mean glib triumphalism. It doesn't mean you get whatever you want when you want it. What it means is that you do not face, I do not face the stuff that wants to pull me off track. I don't face those things alone. And yet many of us, we live under this like illusion that we're alone when we're not. And so I just want to say over you, if you feel that dissonance, um, the withness of God is able to help us be in whatever circumstance we find, not protect us from circumstances. God comes into those spaces with us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians 1. If you don't know where Colossians is, um, that's okay. It's toward the back. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, God eats popcorn. So if you hit one of them, you'll know you're close. Uh, General Electric Power Company, I know some people say, but I prefer God eats popcorn. I just think it's better. Uh, It makes you laugh a little bit. Uh, So last week we were supposed to preach here. We were going to begin our our study. And uh, if you were here last week, we, we, we abandoned the script and went off script and did something totally different. And it felt right to back up and start the study. So if your flyer says uh, something else like 15 to 26, that's not Ben's fault. That's my fault because I made the change. Uh, so we're going to, we're just going to jump back and spend some time. So I'm going to read and then pray. And then we're just going to see what the Lord will have for us today. As we think about what Paul prays for his friends. Uh, verse nine, for this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work. And as you grow in the knowledge of God, may you be made strong with all of the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then let's just sit with our brother Paul. Holy Spirit, we ask today that you would help us to be still in our hearts. God, that you would help us to hope for your life even as we are honest about the things we hold and the things that we carry into a space like this, God. We pray that you would meet us at the point of our need and our hope. God, we also put before you the poverty of our own experience. And we pray, God, that when we confront the poverty or the lack of our own experience, God, that we would not become cynical, but we would actually say to you, come into those places, God. I I pray that for myself right now in a very personal way. Enter in, Lord, to, to my lack. Show yourself to be true. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Colossae was located in what is now Turkey, and this was a really young church Paul's writing to. Paul did not plant this church. He'd actually never been there. Um, If you back up and see in verse 7 in Colossians 1, there's a guy named Epaphras. He almost certainly was the church planter, and he had told Paul about 
this church plan. And so Paul is now writing as a father saying, from the moment I heard about you, I've been praying for you. And I think it's really important for us to think about cultural context because this church would have almost probably entirely been made up of former pagans. So not a lot of people who totally knew all the rules who came from a Jewish space. They were in, a, in an urban space. They were, um, they were not Jewish by, by ethnicity. And so they were trying to figure out how to be Christian in a world that was not supporting that faith journey in any way. And so I think in some ways, um, these letters in, in the church, specifically from like Colossians and the Corinthian moment, um, Ephesus, these are places where I think we probably can, can receive a great deal of comfort. Paul is praying for people who are not unlike us. Uh, he's praying for people who are just trying to figure out how to be Christian when nothing out there is, is supporting them in that journey. And increasingly, I think, and you'll hear me say this over and over and over again, if you stick around here, I, I think that we as a culture are moving rapidly toward post-Christendom. I, I think that increasingly, um, it's not advantageous to be Christian culturally, like it used to like help you get jobs. And, um, you know, every president had to pretend to be, to be Christian, even if they, they really weren't. Um, or you would, you would be welcomed into so, certain social circles. Increasingly, that's just not true. We're catching up, if you will, to, to the continent and to uh, the UK. Um, we're catching up in a bad way, maybe a sad way. Um, but it's not totally bad because I think that in an increasingly post-Christian society, you are going to need a reason to be here and to follow faith. Otherwise, you're just going to cut bait because this won't help you unless you're kind of like really all in. Uh, faith is not really for the dabbler. And culturally, I think that we almost, um, we almost convinced ourselves that it was for a season and now increasingly it's not. So these kinds of prayers from Paul to people who are not unlike us, people who are now like trying to renegotiate how much we care about this and whether we want to go back out into what we used to be or whether we really want to keep going with God. I think these prayers like actually feel like a prayer being prayed for us by the Holy Spirit. So I'm finding new life in the prayers of our brother Paul, specifically prayers that were offered to people who are really struggling to figure out what it meant to be Christian. So um, I would submit to you that as we walk through this text, it's like the Holy Spirit is praying these prayers for you right now, for me right now. First thing, Paul prays that we would lead lives worthy of the Lord. And I love that phrase, the lead lives worthy of the Lord. Um, what Paul is saying there, and if you get into some of his own language, you know, like this idea of the, the language of his prayer, um, to lead a life, it, it speaks to like how you walk, not just what you think. And I think this is a really helpful reminder to us that Christianity is not primarily a thinking religion. It's not primarily just about doctrine or dogma or what you believe or what you stand for. That Christianity is really about how we live our lives in terms of like all, all the way through. So it's about a walk. What you'll pick up a lot in Paul's language is this is about your whole life. This is about your whole walk, not just doctrinal purity. You know, at Trinity, we care about thinking true and right and real thoughts about God. But I think that the Lord, in addition to that, more deeply cares that we would lead lives that are actually reflective of the Lord. Y'all, one of the reasons why I think Christianity is losing uh, credibility in the public sector is that people outside the church look at people inside the church and think like, why would I want to, what's that about? And I think there's an opportunity there. 
for us. To, to hear with fresh ears this call from God, this prayer that the Lord is praying for us that would say, I pray that your whole life would be animated. Where you're headed matters. Not just what you say or what you stand for or what you post on social media. Who you are really matters. Paul prays that we would lead lives worthy of the Lord. I think that's a prayer we need to hear from God with fresh hearing in this day and age that we live in. Number two, Paul says it's possible to progress and to bear good fruit. And I've been thinking about this idea because that's kind of connected to the first thing, this idea of leading a life worthy of the Lord. Paul would suggest that the manifestation of that is fruit. And if you're familiar with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, perseverance, self-control, these are things that should be flowing out of our lives. Y'all apple trees don't wake up in the morning and think, apples. If they're abiding and connected, they begin to manifest. They begin to grow and produce fruit on the boughs of their lives. But some of us may be in a pruning season. Some of us may be in a season of dormancy. You know, the, the seasons of the, of the year actually are seasons where we're not always abounding. I think that one of the great myths that, that's maybe particularly Western or, or even maybe more specifically American is that we should always be living lives that are like up and to the right, always abounding, always growing, always I remember walking with my wife in our neighborhood some years ago and there was this tree in one of our neighbor's front yard and it had these beautiful flowers like all over the tree. And I looked at my wife, I was like, that's just amazing. And she looked at me like, you're such an idiot. You know, was, she says, those are plastic flowers that that dude just stuck in his tree. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I remember we also once went on a, a ghost tour judge me, go ahead. And I, I go to ghost tours no matter where I go. Uh, we just went to one in York. Amazing. But we were in Savannah and we're sitting with these people. And I just said to my wife after her, I was like, those people were so nice. She goes, you heard when that woman told us she was a witch, right? And I was like, I totally missed it. I miss things like that sometimes. Well, we're not always abounding in fruit. And yet we, we should have a sense of life in us. And so I just want to say to you that if you're in a winter right now, that's okay. But God is working in our waiting sometimes. And that it will, like the seasons of the year, roll around. If we stay connected to God, if we begin to think about the, the telos or the trajectory of our lives, there will be fruit that will emerge. And he wants us to hope for fruit, to expect fruit, to know what to look for when we're looking for fruit. I would commend to you the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is talking about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness perseverance, self-control. These are the things the Lord is looking to grow in you, to cultivate in you. And I love the image of bearing fruit because it speaks to um, progress. It speaks to incremental, invisible, very slow, very organic growth. It also gives us a creative imagination for pruning and dormancy and um, cultivation. It gives us this picture that our lives are a project. Your life is God's project. Your life is God's project. Our job is to stay engaged in that process. 
Our job is to stay engaged in the process of tending to who we are and where we are. And one of the challenges with this idea is that in the name of fruit bearing, we can start to think it's all about us. We can start to think I've got to make this happen. I've got to fake it till I make it. Some of you are exhausted because you've been trying to kind of fake fruit, you know, like that guy who stuck the the flowers in the tree. It's like we're trying to make it happen, hoping that one day reality will catch up to what we aspire to do. And that's not what this is about. The third movement in this uh, prayer that St. Paul prays for you and for me is that we would be made strong by God, that God would animate us with strength. The Lord cares about your life and actually wants to do things in you that would enable you to be strengthened. This is not just about willpower. This is not just about trying to be better and better. This is about the life of God coming into us. And so I would just ask you right now to think, where do you need the strength of God to make you strong? And what I'm learning in my own life is the more specific I can be about what I need from God, the more I'm able to ask him to come in, not in a general way, but in a very specific way. There are things at play in my own life and in my own story right now for which I am aware that I need his help and his strength. And I'm asking in very specific prayers. I want to challenge you to be more bold and more specific in the way that you pray and ask for God's help. Help me is a start. Help me in this part of my marriage or this part of my job or this part of my inner life is a better prayer to pray. I believe the Lord wants you and me to cultivate an expectation that his power and his strength is something he wants to make available to us. He doesn't want you just to do this by yourself. Some of us are just exhausted from trying to or living under this illusion that we're just supposed to do life on our own. The Holy Spirit is an encourager. And that's not just a pep talk giver. That's a one who gives us courage. -er. The Holy Spirit wants to make us strong. He wants to give us a sense of power from without, not just power from within. Some of us are worn out by trying to muster up power from within. The Lord wants to make us strong. He doesn't just want you to live a life and bear fruit on your own strength. He wants to do that work. But I believe that us learning to cooperate with him is actually really, really, really important. Why? If we just become strong so that we can be triumphalistic... And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I think so many people don't want to hear what Christians have to say. They just think this, this strength can, can be like this fake bravado. Um, Paul makes it very clear why we need his strength. The, the fourth movement in this text is we need strength so that we can be people who are able to endure with patience. This is where we're not promised. We're just not promised that people we love are not going to die. We're not promised that all of our relationships are going to work out like we want them to work out. We're not promised that our bodies are not going to betray us, that our families are not going to let us down, that we're not going to let others down. What we are promised is that the strength of God can help us to root and be present in the middle of whatever it is. And I love these ideas, endure everything with patience. I think endurance is about impossible situations and patience is about impossible people. And if you live longer than five minutes, you know that you're surrounded by both the difficult people and difficult situations. And this is where the Lord is saying, my strength is not so that you can check out. My strength is so that you can actually show up when things are not easy. 
So how are you at showing up when things are not easy? This is like one of those moments where we get a little expansion of like, this is what I think if, if God would want to show us anything in this, in this moment, it's that this is what I've come to do in you. I've not come to give you strength to escape. I've not come to give you strength to check out or to distract yourself. Some of you are so, so concerned about things really far away because you're overwhelmed with what's hard right in front of your face. You know, it's just human nature. God wants us to be able to endure with patience. And that means life sometimes is really hard. Life sometimes, maybe all the time in the shadow lands, the places where we live now, life is a struggle. It's a struggle to be faithful. It's a struggle to keep walking sometimes. God doesn't want us to do that by ourselves. He wants to give us strength so that we can endure. And part of enduring is, is the continual recalibration of growth. I was just meeting with our new group of of fellows. I just love the fact that our church, uh, we invite young leaders in and we invest in them for a year. And it's just so fun to watch. And and I was sitting with our our three fellows this last week and we were talking about um, words that you probably hear me say from time to time, that God has a plan. He has a telos, which is a a Greek word that kind of means like a bullseye. That's where he wants you to go. He wants us to move toward his goodness and his plan for us. And yet what happens as we live our lives is we get knocked off track. I remember hearing John Ortberg uh, preach a sermon. It was probably the best sermon I'd ever heard. It was called Shadow Mission. And he said, basically, your shadow mission is your God-given mission hijacked by three degrees through fear and insecurity. And three degrees doesn't seem like a lot. But the further out you go, the further the distance is. Um, I have a mission. God's given me a, a mission in life, the same for you. And I've learned increasingly what my shadow mission is. And on the surface, it looks a lot like the real thing. But if you live long enough, three degrees will put you in the wrong state. One of the reasons why I believe the Lord wants us to be the kinds of people who are aware enough to check in on our hearts and our lives on a regular basis is it's a lot easier to repent and course correct after a tough day than after a tough decade. And, and yet I will tell you, if it's been a tough decade, there's no time like now. It's a lot easier to repent and repair after a tough decade than after a tough 30 years. No time like this time to begin to look at how am I doing leading lives worthy of the Lord, walking in the strength of God, seeing him give me patience to endure. So how are you showing up in the uncertainty of life? Here, you want to know how I show up in the uncertainty of life at my worst? I try to control everything. And then when that doesn't work, I feel sorry for myself. (laughs) Control self-pity, control self-pity. So for me, I'm learning to begin to show up differently, which means disciplines of abstinence at first. Like, don't do that. And then you start to cultivate virtue. Here's how the text ends. Paul says, give thanks because of your inheritance. This idea of giving thanks because of our inheritance is the key to, I think, knowing if we're on the right track. The Lord wants us to be people who give thanks. He wants us to be people who are able to say thank you even when it feels like life is really crappy. 
That's not ignoring the crappy. That's actually saying we're not totally defined by whatever it is that's really hard for us right now. So the discipline of gratitude is really important. This idea that even in the hard times, maybe especially in the hard times, I'm meant to stop and pause and give thanks in very intentional ways. I believe some of us have just stopped saying thank you to God or other people. You know, if you don't like your children, you can still probably find some things to say thank you for, you know. <laughs> the truth is, y'all, we, we love people that we don't like. I mean, it's just the truth. It's like if you live long enough, you're going to say, I love that person, but I'm not sure I always like that person. And cultivating gratitude actually opens up our hearts to see something. One of the reasons why I love the way that Paul words it here is this idea of sharing in God's inheritance is a reminder that even in the darkness of this uncertainty, my story is headed somewhere really good. And I just want to say to you, your story is headed somewhere really good. God is taking you somewhere good. Now, the data of your life may not show you that all the time. That's why we need to be reminded your story is headed somewhere good. So we get to say thank you even in the shadowy places, especially in the shadowy places. Let's put this question up for reflection. We're going to spend just a couple of moments in silence. Uh, and I just want you to ask the question and, and try to answer it as specifically as possible. Where do you need God's strength and, and, and God's help right now? Where do you need him? So we're going to spend a few moments and then I'm going to come up and lead us toward the communion table. But I just want you as best as you can to, to, to contemplate this question and, and try, to, try to answer it in your own heart. I'll come up in a moment, but let's be, let's be still. Let's stand up together if we're able.